Hey Tall Skulls, Nick here. Sorry to have to do this again, but it's Omen's fault this time. So, there's that. So, Omen's recording was not up to wonderful standards, and he's got some feedback and some fuzz and some white noise. I've done my best to edit it out and put silence in where it, it's supposed to be, but there's always going to be a little bit of fuzz in his speech for this episode. So please bear with us. We're going to address it. We're going to make it better. You shouldn't have to listen to fuzz. We're better than that, and you deserve better. So thank you for sticking with us. Enjoy. Talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, edge your bow across the wake, cut engines to half, and turn off your satellite navigation. Because it's time to talk tall to me. Scrow. That's the end. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Nick McGill. And I am still Omen Sade. We are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me, an endless odyssey across the seas of Jethro Tull, from the port of stand-up to the whirlpool of Broadsword and the Beast and beyond. We are your weekly dose of vitamin C to fight away the scurvy, and every now and then we'll come upon some hard tack, but for the most part, it's pretty good. So sit back and enjoy your weekly ration of the work of Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull. Before we get into anything today, Omen. Yes. I have a little, just a little note. Oh, is it a love note? I, I, I think it's fair to say that. Okay. We are at five five-star ratings. On iTunes. What? Five of five. (laughs) Nothing below five, baby. That's so exciting. And we've got a new actual review. (gasps) On iTunes? On iTunes. I love that based on our star ratings, you either love us or you have literally never heard of us. (laughs) There's nothing in between. You can't be bothered to even go (laughs) on and give us below (laughs) five. Right, right. But we genuinely appreciate those who have taken the effort To give us five stars. Yes, thank you very much. Are we about to hear this new five-star review? We sure are. All right. This is from MLB, and I don't know if this is a capital I or lowercase l. So MLB, capital I slash lowercase l, A-N, capital I slash lowercase l. I apologize. Yeah, it's not, nope. Major League Baseball, Lanel. E and the, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. I and I and I. Yeah. The review is entitled Fun Podcast for Diehard Fans. And that is factually accurate. It's short and sweet. Just a single sentence. And that's all I need. Let's hear it. I'm a tall completist and am really enjoying this podcast, particularly the song by song approach. Although it will take a very long time to get to the later albums, (laughs) dash, I hope they make it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, MLB, Lanel, I do hope we make it as well. (laughs) It's it's all we can hope for. (laughs) That's what I say every morning when I get out of bed. I hope hope we can make it to the Tall Christmas album. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, thank you for your, your review. Thank you for your hopefulness. And yeah. thank you for your five-star rating. It really does help increase our visibility. Those stars are what we cite off in the astrolabe of the good ship Feckless Moms. That's right. So that's it for reviews and correspondence. Today's track is on the, the shorter side. So I actually wanted to go back to an email that AJ Kerrigan sent to us a couple of weeks ago, referencing the interview track on the Aqualung remaster. Great. We aren't going to be addressing any of the other bonus tracks off of this album because they're all on later albums. Right. So it would be pre-redundant. It would be pre-dundant. Pre-dundant. Ooh, I like that. I think you Thank just you. made that up and it's... I certainly did. It's That's wonderful. So to avoid pre-dundancy, mm. we are going to... We'll just get do a, a... Miriam <laughs> Webster on the phone. <laughs> Mary, get Miriam, please. We are going to just do a, a quick talk about this this interview track, and uh, and then we'll get into the track for the day. Amazing. AJ referenced that this is the first time that he had actually heard Ian Anderson's voice. Mm, speaking voice. Speaking voice, naturally, yeah. You have not. Th- this is not your first time, correct, Omen? Oh, certainly not. No, no. I've, yeah. I, I don't remember what the first time was that I heard Ian Anderson speak. It may have been at the live concert that we that we saw, or it may have been... Oh, interesting. Yeah. And th- I know that there are also some interviews on the album, on the CD version of Thick as a Brick, I think, or maybe Passion Play, there was an interview with Tull and some of the other bandmates, and I, that may have been the first time I ever heard his speaking voice. Okay. I haven't heard that one, I don't think. But this interview was actually new to me. I had never heard this before because it was not on the album that... It was not on the version of the album that I had as right. a wee laddie. Yeah. And before we jump into it, I, I just want to give Omen credit as we were listening to it earlier. He he said... I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the quote uh, <laughs> that in the, in the text message that he sent to me. Who is the interviewer? Sounds like the goth guy from Great British Baking Show. So did the recording take longer than it might otherwise have done because of this studio? And that goth guy is Noel Felding from Great British Baking Show most right. recently. He's from the IT crowd. He's from Mighty Boosh. He's a he's kind of a he's a, a British character actor. I think he's a very funny, got a dry sense and of humor. It does sound like him, doesn't it? It does. It very much does. I I one hundred percent acknowledge. I believe it's probably a regional thing. Yeah. Maybe John, our Anglo correspondent, can... Can tell us why there are so many goths in a certain area of England. In that spot, yeah. Just goths, as far yep. as the eye can see. It's, it's, um, it's called Gotham. <sighs> I'm, I'm not proud of that hey. at all. I, the, the, that fruit was on... I had to bend down to get that fruit. <laughs> Oof, yikes. <laughs> so, do we know the name of the, in fact, interviewer on this, on this interview? I do not. I do not. I, I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't even bother to look it up. Great. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> so this interview was conducted for the 25th anniversary release of Aqualung, in which they did some remastering. I think they digitized. They did a lot of cleaning. Yeah. And the interview, for those of you who, who don't want to take the time to go and listen to it, or, or if you don't have access to it, is, is broadly Ian talking about the recording process for Aqualung and some of its some of the way that it's been received both at the time and since. 
Yeah, it's a, that the first. I'd say about the first half of it is a lot of stuff that we already knew. It's a lot of stuff that we've even discussed. Right. The difficulties with Island Records' new recording space. Yep. The fact that Zep was downstairs in the right. smaller, better space. They got in there just because they booked the space sooner and they got to choose the room. Right. Well, early bird gets the worm. Yeah. Yeah. And that bird was Led Zeppelin. Yep. You know what, though? In, in that section, he did also reveal something that I don't know that I had heard before, which was a little bit about perhaps the origin story of some of his tension with Robert Plant. Yeah. Yeah. AJ referenced that in, the, uh, in his email as well. Do you want to go into that, Omen? With my lyrics and Led Zeppelin's music, you know, we could be, we, we could be quite a good little rock and roll band. And of course, he meant it just as sort of like a, a joke, without realizing that that Robert Plant had done all of the lyrics. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was self-deprecating, and it was just such a throwaway comment. Right, exactly. But I can, I can also see how Robert Plant would react poorly to that. But also, what about the rest of the band, the rest of Jethro Tull? <laughs> right. In a different right. world, Ian Anderson would have led Led Zeppelin, I suppose. Wow. Yeah. Ian Anderson's bag of Zepp. Ba- Zeppelin of nails. Led Zeppelin's bag of nails, yeah. Yikes. Think about all that. Well, I think that probably his band, Ian Anderson's bandmates, knew him well enough to know that that was just sort of a silly, a silly joke. Probably. There was a lot of goofing going on at that time. Yeah. And there still is, Nick. A lot of goofing going on. That's right. You just have to look for it. <laughs> the, the goof is in all inside of all of us. It's all around us. <laughs> Let's see. What else was of interest in the interview in that first half? Just a little more detail on Aqualung. It, they only had about three to four weeks to record. And right. a lot of the songs that they said they brought in ready to record. And the one main one is actually what we're going to be talking about next week was Locomotive Breath. That they just had to hammer out and put together in studio. And next week we will talk, tell to you about some of that process. Yeah, it sounds like it was pretty arduous. The interesting thing, the the thing that kind of captivated me about the interview, which was which was new to me, was Ian's perspective on the album as a whole in terms of its popular reception. Yeah, you're, this is the second half, basically, of the This is the sort interview. of the second half of yeah. the interview. And the interview is about 15 minutes long, so it's not a yeah. it's not a really long, it's not a really big, it's not like listening to an entire Talk Tall to Me podcast. Oh, gosh, anything. no. We haven't hit 15 minutes in at least eight months. I've rarely lasted that long. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that was, I mean, we only, yeah. Talk about low-hanging fruit, my God. <laughs> I, I guess I never... And maybe I'm interpreting it wrong, but I I never knew that he looked at the album Aqualung with such, I don't want to say disdain, but such, it feels very, like he sees it as sophomoric or juvenile almost. I don't, yeah, I, yeah, that, I mean, he didn't say anything bad about the album, and I mean, I think... If I'm remembering more or less what he said, he said, it's a pretty good album with some pretty good songs on it, which is yeah. you know, high, high praise from, from the sort of person that Ian Anderson is. It's, good, you know, it's a good record with a bunch of good songs on it. I think what, what I found interesting was that he was saying that he, he seemed to be expressing some bafflement at people holding 
Aqualung up as the Jethro Tull album oh, or, okay. or the seminal Jethro Tull album. That was a word he used. Yeah. Seminal, of course, if we want to be specific, meaning a work or piece which which has a, a, a big influence on everything that comes after it. Yeah. The word also means of or having to do with semen. So... Well, a progenitor. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And and I think for him, the future work of Jethro Tull wasn't, wasn't based on the bedrock of of Aqualung. And I agree. Sure. You know, a lot of what he talks about in the in the interview is everyone evolves, you know, his work as a songwriter, as a flautist, as a composer. Music as a composer, thank you. Has become more sophisticated just in the sense of he's learned and, you know, the things that interested him twenty five years before this interview didn't interest him as much as the things that he was working on now. And he talked a lot about how he he talked he talks a lot about broadsword and the beast. He talked about Budapest for at least five minutes. Right. And is that off broadsword or, or is that crest? Off? Isn't it crest? That's off of crest of a nave. I think so. I, yeah, I think you're right. From what I took from it is that he's not he's not poo pooing the fact that that a simpler, less complicated album can be enjoyed. But no. that being said, he he made it sound like Budapest. He holds Budapest in higher regard than Locomotive Breath because it's much more complicated and sophisticated and detailed right. and more rewarding to perform for an audience. There's a certain degree of naivete that he had in the construction of Aqualung and right. Locomotive Breath. I think you just hit something on the head because let's recall that Ian Anderson and the band spend over the course of their history have spent you know probably 95% of their working time on the road and yeah. maybe 5% of their time recording yeah so these songs that have become such hits such anthems like locomotive breath aqualung cross-eyed mary he's had to sing literally thousands of times yeah and imagine I imagine that if you did something when you were, what, how old was he when he wrote it? 23? Something like that. And then you're 50 years old and people are like, do that thing you did when you were 23. Yeah. I can imagine being like, okay, sure, here we go. Yeah. It's a lot of things working in concert. It's, it's, that's the album that really hit home for a lot of people whether they heard it when it was first released or otherwise. Right. So, of course, he's got to play the classics. They've got to play the hits. Right. And whether they intentionally go into the studio thinking this is going to be a great song to perform or not, I don't know. I can't imagine that's really highly on their mind. Well, that was one of the things he mentioned about Locomotive Breath. He was like, yeah, it happened to turn out as something that was that was good to play live. Yeah. But they didn't they didn't know. Once they got it all figured out. Right. But it, it does sound like a live song. It sounds like the sort of thing that, you know, you, you could walk on stage and play almost spontaneously. Well, that that's, doesn't that, sound like a That's kind of lucky because that's what we've had, that's what we that's what we've had to do for the last 25 years walk on stage and play it live and like many songs 
you know, sometimes these things that get put together in, in the studio um, very artificially end up translating into great live songs. And sometimes they really don't. But in terms of energy and if I had to... If you ask a rowdy bunch of concert goers if they want to hear Budapest or Locomotive Breath, right? it's probably going to be Locomotive Breath. Sure. I would much rather see Budapest, but... but well, you are not rowdy. That's true. He does say something that I think gets to the heart of all of this, which is, you know, he's describing his ability as a musician songwriter at the time when, when they were doing Aqualung versus 25 years on and he said you know back then there's a sense of things being done in one brush stroke yeah whereas now it's much more constructed and much you know much better thought out sure and i think that that's the appeal of aqualung is that it does feel like it's just an it's a single impulse almost that just comes out and bam there it is and there's something very magnetizing about that there's something very attractive about that it's more primal it's more primal in its in in its simplicity there is an attractiveness to it i acknowledge that i totally do and i mean we've already listened to almost all of the album there is a a huge range in aqualung more so than in any of the other albums we've seen so far i think Mm, yeah definitely so i think even with 25 years of performance and however many albums under the belt at that time, he I don't think he can fully remove himself from the idea because he's been playing Locomotive Breath every night for the past 25 years. Yeah, he's, maybe, he's maybe the least qualified person in a way. Yeah. Yeah, if there's anyone invested in Locomotive Breath, it's Ian Anderson. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think he gives Aqualung, the album, enough credit. That being said, Crest and 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 Catfish and all those are really good albums too, and they do feel more sophisticated. Yeah, I sympathize with his bafflement. Oh, oh, one hundred percent. I'm. I don't. I certainly don't think he's just being a curmudgeonly old man. Not just. Not just. That is one of the many things that he's being. This is this is a sensible argument coming from a curmudgeonly old man. Correct. <laughs> well, the interview is delightful. Mm-hmm. You should all check it out if you can. And Nick, shall we move on to our song of the week? Let's slip right in. To Slipstream. Well, the lush separation unfolds you and the products of wealth push you lordy lordy you know nick no matter how many times i listen to this album that one always catches me by surprise it's like i can't breathe like i hold my breath during that song almost thank god it's under a minute i know, <laughs> I know. It's so gorgeous. I said last week, this is the song that I've been looking forward to the most off of Aqualung. You did say that. And just hearing it again, it just, it really, really seals that statement for me. I just think it's such a beautiful song. Yeah, it is. 
before we we get into to anything crazy, Omen. Yo. Definition of a slipstream. I'm so glad you asked. A slipstream is a phenomenon created by a fast-moving object, either on land or in the sky or on water. It is the air or water essentially dragged behind in a column behind a ship, race car, or any kind of car, or airplane. And if you get caught in a slipstream, or if you intentionally enter a slipstream, you are borne along in the wake of that other object. So in racing, there's a strategy where you can, both in real racing and, interestingly, in Mario, Mario Kart, Kart, you can, uh, you can if you pull behind the, the car in front of you, that wind that's sort of in a column behind that vehicle will pull you along. It's uh, called drafting. Oh, really? Yep, it's drafting, yeah. And, and the, the concept is you are using less energy right. to move at that speed and therefore right. are able to accelerate beyond that person. Right, exactly. So you can, you can, in racing, you can use it to get ahead of someone. But in a nautical setting, you can also get caught in the slipstream of a bigger vessel. And that, and that, is, that is turbulent. That is dangerous. Yeah, especially if the size differential is enough that, you know, it's 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 within reason to to imagine a scenario in which it would be difficult to break free of the slipstream. Yeah. Also for our Washington DC crowd, Slipstream is a bright cafe with a walnut bar serving pour over coffee by day and cocktails by night with light fare. This episode of Talk Tall to Me. Brought to you by We Wish We Had Sponsors. 1333 14th Street, Northwest, Washington, <laughs> D.C. <laughs> Slip on into a slipstream. <laughs> <laughs> that covers the definition for when we get into lyrics and context, for sure. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about music here for a second? Yeah. Some just gorgeous strings. First of all, I'll I'll always I'll always say gorgeous strings, and these feel like strings. These don't feel like Mellotron. I do to not me. believe that this is Mellotron. I believe yeah. that there is a soul. There's a, yeah, strings. there's more life there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those and and those strings at the end they they blend so perfectly well into Locomotive Breath too, though. Oh, I know, I know. It's it's so good. Yeah, it's that that is one of my favorite transitions, and it and it really sets up Locomotive Breath in such in such an exciting way, in in a way that you don't necessarily expect. Yeah, they do it very, very well. They also, I mean, transitioning from the the really um, oh, there goes my brain. (laughs) Him forty three. No, no, no. Transitioning from from the the muse the the lyrical part of Slipstream. Oh, okay. Where everything is harmonized and counterpointed perfectly and then uh-huh. going into that sliding string sh- section. Yeah. And yeah. even though it's fading out, we hear that about six times. Mm. Oh my gosh, what a what a it gives me goosebumps. It is it is an oral embodiment of being swept away. 
with lack of control too. Yeah. Like you're you're just along for the ride at that point. It also reminds me a bit of the of the sound of sirens. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I definitely see that. Both. That's my favorite uh, Simon and Garfunkel song. The sound of sirens. Yeah. Well, after I said it, I realized that it could it could equally well works for like an ambulance siren or a sea siren waiting to dash your bones upon the rocks. Oh yeah, that's pr- that that I like it. Mm. Yeah, multi layered, multifaceted. Yes, like a like a tiramisu. <laughs> this this song is pretty easily classifiable, I would say, into the acoustic category uh, oh, sure. of Aqualung. This is our third of the the triptych of tiny little acoustic interstitials. Yes, that that breaks up the more raucous bits. Right. That being said, this is the only acoustic off of side B. The other two were on side A. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. We had those two really heavy religious ones, then this one, then locomotive breath and wind up. Right. Side B packs a bit of a punch. And this is a this is really the calm before the, the storm or, or, yeah. or the oh, yeah. eye of the hurricane, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I would say B. so. Yeah, it's right. It's smack in the middle. It's three of five. Is that? Oh my god! I was just gonna make a, such a stupid joke. <laughs> I was gonna say, is that its Borg designation? Three of five. Oh my gosh, Omen, you have outnerded me. <laughs> oh no! I thought. Oh no! I didn't. That's ex- it. The universe is doomed. First of all, I didn't expect you to make a Mario Kart reference. I'm very impressed with that. Thank you. But a uh, uh, Star Trek reference, yeah. yeah. I can't I can't even do that. We all have dark things in our closets, Nick, and yours happens to be Borgs. Mine is mine is having watched every single episode of Star Trek ever. That's Yikes. That is dark. Please don't tell anyone, Nick. I, I I won't, don't worry. Okay. I really appreciate that. Back to the podcast. So do you feel like this is Ian Anderson on guitar? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's that it's that sweet, really heartful acoustic. Yeah. I I agree. I think it's Anderson. I think it's Anderson all the way. Mm-hmm. I think he recorded this largely by himself. Yeah. And then brought on possibly D Palmer to arrange some strings for it. Yeah. Again, we've we've said before this is the first album where there were times where he just went in with an acoustic guitar and played. Right. So I I would not be surprised if this was the case. Anything else musically before we want to jump into the lyrics, Nick? I do really like, as light and sweet as this song is, I do really like the fact that there's no preamble, that it is, boom, it is right there. There's not even a note before he starts singing. That's true. You know, for me, that creates the effect of having to play catch up on that first couple of lines. Yeah. It just drops you directly into it with no preparation. A feeling of not having control through the entirety of the short song. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. And it's and it's not even but it doesn't feel like offensively abrupt though. It still works really well. 
Oh, certainly. And that being said, listening to him 43 going into this, it's still it's still a decent transition. It's pretty dece. Yeah, it's it's a dece. It's a D. It's a D. So Nick, this is one of those songs that I've always been really struck by, but I have never I've never really heard all of the lyrics until sitting down and, and reading them along as I listened. Really? Wow. I mean, certain bits stuck out to me, but mm-hmm. there were certain ones that I think I've always misheard. Oh, sure. I can see that. Well, the lush separation unfolds you is the first line. Mm-hmm. I always thought it said, well, the lion's something unfolds you. Huh. Because of the strange way he pronounces lush. Yeah, there's this one has I think it's between the the cadence and the rhythm of the song of the the lyrics of the song and just his pronunciation. I can see where this is rife with opportunity for for mishearing. Yeah. God's way to your last time. As he hands you the bill And his spinning slipstream Tied to some reasoning Paddled right out of the mail That transition musically from as he hands you the bill and you spin in the slipstream, tideless unreasoning, that yeah, line right there, the oh, where those strings really hammer in. Oh, I know. so good. It's I so know. good. It makes you just want to like let go of whatever you're holding on to and fall into the the void below you. Yeah, you let go of the tow rope and just let the slipstream take you where it will. Yeah, who knows? Off to off to Bangalore. Yep, c- could be. Let's let's break down these lyrics. Yeah, 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 yeah. For me, the first four lines are together. Mm-hmm. Well, the lush separation unfolds you and the products of wealth push you along on the bow wave of their spiritless undying selves. Okay. I always thought it was enfolds, like to 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 fold you into something. That makes sense. That's the only mishere that I ever had with this. I mean, it almost makes me wonder if there is perhaps a, a misprint on the lyrics that I'm reading, but yeah. but actually I think if it was anything else but separation, I would think Enfolds makes more sense, but the lush separation unfolds you. The experience of being separated from something almost can turn you inside out, can't it? Oh, unfolds you and the products of wealth, meaning the separation takes you away from that. It opens up a new dimension of you that you're not, that you had kept in. Yeah, or which was hampered because you were living with wealth and you didn't know you you had it or you didn't know you needed it. Yeah, it could be. Or I think I think that that wealth is the subject of the next line and the products of wealth push you along on the bow wave of their spiritless oh. undying selves. So the you are unfolded okay. by the by the lush separation. Okay. And at the same time you're being pushed along by the on the bow wave 
Oh, that's interesting. On, on the bow wave of their spiritless undying self. Which is the front of the boat. It's almost like something happened. Uh-huh. You've, bun- you've been unfolded. Oh, I got it. And then a big ship that you were ahead of runs you over, basically. I think you lose the wealth. You fall off the boat of wealth. And you get pushed aside by the bow wave, and that's further exemplified by the next line, and you press on God waiters your last dime as he hands you the bill, God's waiter. You know, that is, that is for me, the line that has always stuck out. Yeah. And I think that the products of wealth and your last dime are, are actually in contrast. Okay. Yeah. Can I make a, a stab at a theory? Yeah, I, ha- I have one too. All right, I'm going to stab mine in the face. I'm going to lovingly caress mine and nurture it. You are a, you are a gentle giant. <laughs> For me, part of what this song speaks to me about is the contrast between earthly wealth and spiritual wealth. Okay. I feel like it's talking about being so successful materially that Mm -hmm. you literally can't escape it even if you jump off the boat. Huh. Okay. That you get knocked off of the boat of wealth and it still pulls you along in its slipstream. Okay. It's controlling you, in other words. But in terms of your spiritual wealth, you have one last dime that you have to hand over to God's waiter. How fascinating. And I think yours is more right because this is the religious side of the album. Well, let's not, let's say that there's no right or wrong. Okay. In this is a, Talk Tall to me is a safe space. Oh, thank you. I do feel safe here. Okay. <laughs> in my basement in a sound booth. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your theory? See, I think this plays more to the to the first side, I think this is more a reference to the indigent and and poor. Tell me more about that. That the poor are have no control over their lives. They're swept along behind the wealthy. Oh. And as poor as they are, they will always have one more dime for God, for, you know, to, to for Karen or whoever, whatever money slash deity analogy you want to use. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put a flag in that because it reminds me of something. But go ahead. Okay. And always having that will allow you to get out. Getting out of the mess is basically dying. That's the only way if you're if you're beaten and broken and living on the streets, the only way to get out of that mess is to be is when you end up giving God's waiter your last dime. Oh, you so that's that's for you uh analogous to kicking the bucket or cashing in all your chips. Essentially, sure. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's the that slipstream is is tideless and unreasoning, but you can paddle out of it when it's it's your time. Interesting. So, giving God's waiter your last dime makes me think of the parable from the Bible 
of somebody, somebody who was an old lady who gave to, how did this work? It's not in the Bible. That time in your Sunday school class just didn't really stick with you, did it? I got kicked out of there so fast that they didn't, they, they didn't get to be teaching me everything. Because you wouldn't let them whip you. Is that why? That's, they wouldn't. They never whipped me hard enough for my liking. That's right. You said, I will come back when you get a stronger whip. <laughs> they were, their wrists weren't strong enough for me. That's right. No, there's a story about someone. There's like a rich man who says, I'm going to give... 10% of my wealth to the church. And so he gives some huge amount of money to the church. And he's like, look how good I am. Look how spiritual I'm, I am because I'm giving all this money. And that's like, great. And then there's an old lady <laughs> who literally has nothing and gives her last, you know, quarter of a drachmar yeah. to charity or to the church or whatever. And Jesus comes down and he's like, yo, that's super cool. You're going to heaven. You're going to heaven, and you're going to heaven, and but not mm, not but you. Not, you're not not you. Mm. Not you. And the and the rich man is like, well, what about me? I gave way more than her. And he's like, yo, you gave like literally a quarter percent of your entire annual income, and she gave half of everything that she owns. Yeah. Um. So that was probably paraphrased, and that's probably not exactly. The parable, but there's some sort of parable. I do like think that. it's it's in the Bible. I'm I'm sure I heard it that a couple I feel of times like it's in the Bible in yeah. in church. Yeah, in Sundiskul. That makes me think of the wealth tax and the poverty tax. Go on, but we won't get into that. <laughs> oh, okay, don't go on. I mean, it's I'll just get I'll just get political. Okay, so Nick, is it possible that this song is related to Cheap Day Return? thematically and inspiration-wise. Oh. Is this perhaps talking about the death of Daddy Anderson? This just got dark. Well? The future inevitable death, because he lived a handful more years after this. Oh, did he? Yeah. Yeah. But he was quite but he was quite ill at the time, wasn't he? He was. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was I believe it was touch and go, but I, I think I remember reading in the Ballad of Jethro Tull, that he didn't die for another couple of years. And I was a little okay. surprised knowing the story about Cheap Day Return. Right. I mean, you know, we all live in a continuum of sickness and, and recovery until we don't, I guess. <laughs> Fact. But, I mean, I, I wonder if there's some of the same anxiety expressed you know, the idea of separation, the, the idea of not having control over something and being numb to this incredible force that's moving you along that you created that you can't even, that you can't even, that you don't have control over in a way, even though it's you, even though it's your success in your career, that the, the products of wealth are, are driving you along before them, even though you're not doing anything. And then you just sort of slip and you're being pulled along by them. Well, yeah. If they do, these two songs do intersect, a product of wealth is your your dying father's nurse asking you for an autograph. And your lack of time to be able to spend quality time. Yeah. And that's why, and maybe that's why you're so impoverished spiritually. You have what you only, you're begging God's waiter to take your last dime to give you one more serving of 
of spiritual connection. Yeah. I like it. I'm not sure it necessarily... I'm not sure they're sister songs, per se, but it certainly fits in, in, in terms of, of feel and context. They might be... Maybe they're distant cousins. Yeah. They might be cousins who meet each other at a wedding and don't realize that they're cousins. Go on. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's a lot of champagne. And then they get some terrible news later on that they're related. <laughs> Thanks for just driving that one home. Thanks. Although it didn't stop Charles Darwin. Well, yeah, I I don't think that was an accident, though. No, not at all. No. But they, they weren't, were they first cousins? I'm pretty sure they were first cousins. Oh, yeah. Used to be quite common to marry one's first cousin. Yeah, keep keep it in the family. Yeah, that's what they said at that time. Yep. Yep, I believe that was his family crest, actually, the Darwin family crest. It was written backwards in very illegible handwriting, though. In crayon. Because of all the inbreeding. <laughs> wow, that was a turn. Nick, what else what what else about this song? I I'm not sure I have anything else. I would love to know listeners' opinions on this. Yeah, if you Are you Team Omen or Team Nick? Do you have your own theories? And I don't think it's even a competition because I like I really like your idea, but I also really like mine. And I also really like that you liked mine. <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated to know if other people have completely other, you know, completely divergent theories about this song. Yeah. Because it is, it is one of those that's, that's so poetic and so full of imagery and yeah. metaphor that it could... You know, what, you know what I appreciate about this song? What's that? The metaphors are consistently nautical. Yeah. I don't like mixed metaphors, especially when it comes to nautical metaphors. You've been on a big nautical thing lately. Oh, yeah. You haven't been over to my house yet. No. Yeah, that's the decorative theme. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I recently got a, a brass combination barometer, thermometer, and hygrometer. <laughs> Does that... Is that loosely tied to nautical? Well, those are all things that you need on a ship to predict the weather. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Guess what I use it for? Predicting the weather. Yeah. Okay. Good. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and you paddle right out of the maze. Well, Nick, what are we listening to next week? Next week, as if you didn't know already, is one of the most iconic Jethro Tull songs. Probably the one that gets the most, if not really the only, airplay on classic mm. rock stations nowadays. It is... <laughs> locomotive Breath. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's going to be a big one. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it'll be like 10 minutes long. Who knows? It'll... We are looking forward to it. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we are. Yeah. In the meantime, don't let it slip your mind. Go to mm -hmm. iTunes. 
Give us five stars. Give us that review. Send us an email. Tell us your thoughts on Slipstream. Did we blow your minds? Yeah, please do. I, I, would, love, I would love some, either some support or some alternating theories. Yeah, or you know what? Tell us that we're wrong. Yeah, straight up wrong is fine. It's the the problem is it's such it's such a small quick song. It's easy to to dismiss. But let's not. Especially because it's between him 43 and locomotive breath. Right. It's it's a nice little kind of sorbet, but it also it's it's in between such meaty content. But it's a, it's a sorbet with the with the flavor of the ultimate uselessness of of action in waking life oh that just now i'm depressed and grapefruit (laughs) i was gonna say watermelon mint oh yeah watermelon despair mint yeah that is what i feel every time i eat watermelons so that's that's pretty accurate despair yeah i don't like watermelon i'm not terribly fond of it what nick what what (laughs) is wrong with you there are better fruits to enjoy. <laughs> I'll say. Next week. Until next week. I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. We are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. Captain's log, it has been 40 days since the wreck. Omen is starting to look like a giant turkey leg. We're out of, we're out of water. We're out of water. Omen, I told you there's water over the side of the boat. Just drink that. Do you think that we can drink some of this bottle labeled Feckless Moans is a proud member of the... Fabulous Moms Radio Network. Doc told me, my, my eyes, I'm blind. Oh, I, it's not even worth eating you at this point. Maybe I'll use you for bait. Oh. Closing up Captain's Log, Talk told to me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. My lips are on fire. <laughs>